I want to bring you, we, there's no succession of ideas with freedom, we just seek the Lord. And this week it was just this sense of the anchor. So if I can give you an image tonight to picture in your hearts and minds, it's of an anchor. And I just want us to reflect on this before we do. You've just got a minute's video clip here to immerse you into the reality of a ship. Is this one working? Uh, The reality of a ship on the high seas. If you get seasick, you might want to slightly look away from the next video. (laughs) Just have a look at this. The black thing is the windscreen wiper on the captain's window. Extraordinary, isn't it? Extraordinary. Me and my little boy Harry were watching these on YouTube. (laughs) Just fascinated with these massive, big ships in the middle of nowhere going up and down in these extraordinary sized and terrifying and frightening waves. I just want to ask you, given all we've heard already, in this unpredictable, oftentimes difficult, choppy, tempestuous life, is your soul anchored? Is it anchored? And will the anchor really hold through the toughest times? Do you believe that? Through the biggest challenges, through the most unexpected turn of events that do happen to us all? What about in the day of doubt and fear and despair? Does your soul, does my soul have an anchor that we can truly rely on through it all? Do you know the anchor is one of the oldest Christian symbols of all. Did you know that? It's one of the earliest ones. So imagine our earliest brothers and sisters in the immediate generations after the ones that we read about, the apostles and Paul and the early church. And then that next generation, before too long, it was the anchor that became their symbol. Before the cross, believe it or not, The cross was at the centre of their understanding, but it wasn't their symbol. Their symbol at that time was the anchor. Clement of Alexandria in the late 2nd century said, if we are to have a ring with a seal as Christians, let it be a fish, or let it be a dove, or let it be an anchor. On the walls of the catacombs, where they would meet together our early brothers and sisters, where they would hide from the authorities knowing that just that week their brothers and sisters, their family, their friends had been arrested, had been tortured, had been killed by the Romans, by Nero, burnt, fed to lions for pure mockery and fun in the Colosseum. As they were gathered in the catacombs, when we've discovered those, it's the anchor that we find scribed in the stone on the walls. It's the anchor that they put next to the epitaphs on the tombs of early Christians. Jesus was their anchor in a time of phenomenal persecution 
and a time of extraordinary difficulty. And for them, this ancient symbol, this anchor, was their symbol of hope. The symbol of what it was to be a follower of Jesus. Tonight I want us to reflect very, very briefly on this symbol. To be open to what the Lord might say to you and I about this symbol. Through what we're going through. I just, before I came up, (laughs) whatever it is you're going through, I just want to say to you tonight, grace and peace in Jesus' name to you. I felt that before I came up and I almost forgot to say it, so I'll say it now. Whatever you're going through or whatever's coming up, grace and peace to you now in the name of Jesus. Grace and peace in Jesus' name. So, believe it or not, the anchor is not a very biblical image. (laughs) You'd be surprised. It's not. It's not common. It really isn't. I looked it up and you get two main verses that come out. You've got anchor verses and you do little study. And the first one you'll know, Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. And the other verse is from Acts 27, verse 29. Get this. And fearing that we might run on the rocks or run onto the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. My word. The first one speaks of a deep security, which we have an immovable anchor for our souls, rooted in heavenly places. The other verse is an account of a voyage of terror and disaster and is a snapshot of a moment of utter peril and despondency on board an ancient merchant ship. You can read it in Acts 27. One is about an incredible spiritual reality, the other one about a dreadful earthly experience, these two anchor verses. Yet this earthly experience actually can really help us understand, give us immense insight into the spiritual reality of the anchor we have in Jesus and why it became such an important symbol for our brothers and sisters all those years ago. I don't know if you've read Acts 27 28 lately. It's the most extraordinary first-hand account of one of the most terrifying situations you could ever find yourselves in in life. In fact, if you want to um, check it out in your Bibles, um, I was just checking, yes, there is a chapter 28 as well, that's good. I was just checking I didn't sound like an absolute fool. I am a fool, but you know, I like to pretend I'm not. Um, no, there are uh, chapter 27 and chapter 28. Um, it's an extraordinary couple of chapters Paul, it's his final journey from Israel to uh, Rome. He's now arrested. I'm not mad on maps, but I quite like understanding the big picture of things. Um, He's basically coming, this is Israel down here, and he's he's taken a boat so far to here, and then they've picked up somewhere here another boat that's going to take them to Rome. The trouble is, um, it's at this point that they run into real trouble. Uh, They hug the shoreline back then. If you notice, they don't go like that. That's just way too dangerous. We're talking old boats with very little navigational 
stuff. They did have navigational equipment, but it was very crude compared to today, um, with no safety gear, really, no communications. They just hugged the shore um, as best as they could for all sorts of reasons. Um, and so they're off, but this was the wrong time of the year to be off. Paul is a prisoner. He's got no choice about this. He's with a centurion. Um, the rules back then were no sailing at all in winter. You just don't go there. It's too dark. It's too dangerous. The weather's horrendous. You wait. You overwinter. You harbour up. And then about February, you go again. Maybe March, you go again. But you literally do not move at that time. But the ship Paul was on was pushing its luck. It was pushing it. It wanted to get to the next place and the next place and the next place. With huge difficulty, they've ended up here, the south of Crete. So that's modern-day Turkey, uh, and that's Crete there. And they've just about got to here. They're supposed to be on the north of it, but they've just about snuck underneath um, with the winds. And now they're stopped. And Paul says to them, if we carry on from here, this is an incredibly dangerous journey. Our boat's going to be smashed, and our lives are going to pay. Stop. The crew, I mean, he's a prisoner. He was obviously quite an authoritative prisoner because they listened a bit, but the crew decided, most of them said, no, we're going forward, we're going to go for it. And they decided just to sneak along because it wasn't a very good place to rest for the winter there, just along a bit to another port called, well, they're in Fair Havens at the moment, they're just going to sneak along up here, which would have been better and safer for the winter. But that decision was disastrous. It was absolutely disastrous. And... We read, let me just read some of the account. Try and picture this in your head, in fact. If you're visual, I'll just put that up. I think that's not quite the right type of ship, but it gives you an idea of a ship in the storm. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called the Northeaster swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cowder, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, the little boat that they would have been pulling along. So the men hoisted it aboard. And then, get this, they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. It got to the stage where they realised the ship's integrity itself was going to break. And so they did an ancient thing, we're not quite sure what it was, but they girded the ship, either under it or around it, from stern, bow, whatever the technical words are, under, over, round, we're not quite sure, but they basically tied the ship together at this point. Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sails and they let the ship be driven along. They stopped fighting the wind, they just gave up and went, we're going to have to go with it or we're going to smash into the sandbars. We took such a violent battering. This is scripture. This is incredible. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. The very reason the ship existed, the most precious item on board was the cargo, the expensive Merchant cargo, they began just throwing this overboard now. It's become terrifying. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. That's the rigging and the ropes, the stuff that made the ship possible to sail. At this point, it's get everything off. Get it all out. They are utterly panicking. And when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging... 
we finally gave up all hope of being saved. It's an extraordinary account. Can you imagine it? There were 276 people on board this ship and it is in true peril. They cannot even see the stars or the sun battering after battering. We've had a storm recently come through, haven't we? Battering our windows. Imagine it tenfold, a hundredfold, and then imagine being in a ship, not being able to see or hear because of the battering. All on board have resigned themselves at this point that they will die, and so they stop even eating, Scripture tells us. Just give up. And it's at this point that Paul stands up and he says, you can take courage. He speaks to everybody aboard that boat. I urge you, Paul says, keep up your courage. Why? Because none of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. What is Paul doing here? How dare he give false hope in such a situation? But it wasn't false hope. You see, Paul had received a word from the Lord. The Lord had spoken about what was going to happen with that ship. The Lord had said, don't be afraid, Paul. You must go to Rome, and Rome you will go to, and I will spare all the people on board the ship. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. The word of the Lord was spoken in this time of utter terror and chaos. But the men could hardly hear it. The fear and the panic continued. By now they're still being driven and tossed and torn and thrown about the Adriatic until the middle of the night. The sailors hear, I like this, they hear the change in the waves that tells them, because they can't see a thing, tells them that land is near. And in panic they realise that actually land's not a great thing right now because we can't see what's going on, it's pitch black. So they rod down to see the depths and it's getting shallower and shallower and they are perilously close to rocks and ruin. And it's at this point that our verse turns up. Fearing that we would be dashed against the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for daylight. They have gone through a fortnight of hell. 475 nautical miles are being ravaged by a storm. They cannot see, they cannot hear, they cannot navigate. They are battered from side to side, bracing the boat desperately, knowing that any time it might snap its back and they would die. Total fear. They could not even eat. They could barely think or speak or move. All lifelines that they had have been thrown overboard. All ropes thrown into the sea. Soaked to the skin, frightened, exhausted. It's an extraordinary picture. It's their final desperate hour. And in their final desperate hour, they threw four anchors into the sea and just prayed that daylight might come. Four little human anchors, human-made anchors, the best hope they had right then. Desperately hoping that these little anchors would sink down and steady the ship. Not just one, because the ship could still spin and turn and fall, but four to try and stabilise it to stop it smashing into rocks and killing them all. So little hope did the sailors have and belief in these anchors that they actually did an escape plan and tried to get off, but that got foiled and they had to stay. The crew themselves 
tried to abandon ship, which would have been, well, no hope at all, but it seemed a slither of a chance which they wanted to take. Four human-made anchors dropped down in a moment of utter despair. But what I want to say, and this is it tonight, is in that moment, a heavenly anchor had already been cast. And it was the heavenly anchor that wasn't going to fail them in that storm. Keep up your courage, men, Paul had said, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. The Lord had made a promise. And Paul knew that it could be fully relied on. Even when it seemed like everything around had fallen apart. Everything around was weakness and brokenness. Everything around was being dismantled and taken apart. Disaster seemed inescapable. But not one of you will lose a single hair from your head, Paul said. It was the word of God which was their true anchor. And it was the only anchor which didn't fail them in the storm. Because God, this is Hebrews 6, wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised. That's you and me. We're the heirs of what was promised to Abraham all those years ago. Although the Lord confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we, that's us, who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, we may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner, Jesus, has entered on our behalf. Friends, tonight, you and I, who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us, may be greatly encouraged, no matter what's going on, no matter what we're facing, no matter what we're going through. For we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, no matter what life throws at us, an anchor firm and secure, firm, sure, if you like. It can be depended on, secure or steadfast. It's going nowhere. And this anchor is based on two unchangeable things. God's character, his faithfulness, if you like, who he is, and his word. What he has said will happen. His character which can never change, and his word which never fails. Where human plans fail, where human technology fails, human politics fail, Human navigation fails, human logic fails, human bravery fails, human reasoning fails, human experience fails, human strength fails, human health fails, human hope fails. God's character and his word never fails. And he is our anchor. He is our saviour. He is our father. He is your and my future. He will never let us go. How do we know? Because he said so. You see, our anchor is not anchored or fixed onto the passing things of this world. It's not anchored on your or my goodness or our efforts or our strength. 
because they're going to fail. It's not even anchored on our own faith because even this will fail sometimes. But on his faithfulness, on his character, on his word. Just as the earthly anchors were thrown desperately into the depths of the sea, hoping somewhere in the unseen they might hit good rock and secure the ship. So our anchor has been set in an unseen place. But this anchor is not thrown down to the unseen places of the world or the sea, but the heavenly realms. Our anchor is firm and secure, it says in scripture, behind the curtain, inside the inner sanctuary, the throne room, if you like, the heavenly place in the very presence of the Father, where Jesus, our Lord, has entered into on our behalf. Our our anchor is rooted in a place far beyond our own and the world's uncertainties and rumblings and fears and chaos. Our anchor is sure and steadfast. Our anchor is Jesus, the word and character of God made flesh. It's not debatable whether your anchor will hold. If you love Jesus, it's not debatable whether it's going to hold. It will hold. It will hold. It will hold. You doubt it right now. Don't doubt it. It will hold. It's going nowhere. It's going nowhere. There is no force of nature, no force of hell, to quote that hymn, that can unseat it, unsettle it, or move it. Whatever we're going through, if we are followers of Jesus, our anchor is sure and steadfast, and we can take courage through every storm the anchor holds. And I, for one, am so so grateful to God that that's true.